I'm really excited to be talking to you guys today. Today we're going to be talking about the soul through the lens of Psalm 42. So if you want to, as I continue to speak, turn to Psalm 42 in your devices or in your Bible. If you still have a paper version of it, uh, turn there now. Before we read today, I really want to explain the reasoning for me choosing this topic in the midst of of everything going on as we are in some non-sermon series and everything like that. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but we are in a little bit of crazy times. I don't know if any of you guys have watched the news or anything like that, but parents have had to learn how to be teachers. Uh, Let's see, what else? Parents have had to learn how to be teachers. We've had killer bees on the loose. That was a pretty terrifying time in some people's life. Uh, We've had a desert come our way. I don't really know what that even was, but apparently it happened and we had a desert come over us. It provided some really good sunsets. Um, Let's see. We've had a pandemic that has shut down large portions of our life. There's division in our country right now over racial injustice. There's fights about if a mask kills you or if a mask helps you. There are kids going back to school soon. And if all that wasn't enough, we have an election coming up again this year. Um, and out of all of these things and in all of this craziness, I think something has gotten lost in the midst of all of this. And that is that social isolation has happened on large scales, leading to spiritual and emotional depression in the lives of a lot of people. And I don't mean to say this just to bum you guys out right away or to have you reaching for a remote to turn off your TV or you're closing the laptop already. Just stick with me. But I say this because over the past four or five months, I myself have found myself in slumps of depression, confusion, and just kind of like a blah mood. I don't know if any of us have ever been there. The best word that I think I can use to describe the past five months has just been weird. I know there's a lot better words to describe it, but weird just seems to fit, right? It's just been weird. And as I've been reflecting, though, in the last four to five months, and I knew as, and as I knew I was going to be speaking today, I really wanted to speak to something that was going to be applicable in the lives of the majority of us without giving the old 2020 what to do in a pandemic spiel that we've probably heard uh, one too many times. And so I came on this idea of talking about the soul and asking this overarching question today, which is, how is your soul. Write that at Psalm 42 in your Bibles or take a note of it. Just write that question down. How is your soul? Because each of us here in the room is going to have to answer that question at some point in our life, whether we're asking it right now or we have already asked that question of how is our soul? Because we've been going through difficult times. Some of us have handled it with poise, while other of us have enjoyed more tubs of ice cream than we would care to admit, right? Uh, some of us uh, have not even really been affected by this pandemic, or some of us have enjoyed the effects of it because we don't really know anyone that's had it, but we are, are getting to spend more time with our family, we're getting to be home with them, and that's been great, while others of us have experienced real tragic loss or live in fear due to underlying symptoms. All of us are going through something right now in this year, and I think Michael Scott from The Office, I love the show and I will quote him multiple times, Michael Scott sums up our year so far when he says, well, I'm going through a little bit of a rough patch, the whole year actually. And I love that quote, not just because it's amazing in the show, but also because I really do think that sums up a lot of our years so far, that we really are in a rough patch, and it's surprisingly been the entire year. So no matter where you are, no matter how you think, no matter where you uh, are on any of these sides of any of these conversations, whether you think that a mask kills you or whether you think that a mask helps you, no matter if you are giving hate, no matter if you are receiving hate, no matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, no matter any of those things, I want to say this to you today before we get started, and that is, you have a soul, it matters to me, and it matters to God. And I want to ask today, how is your soul? So as we look at Psalm 42 today, would you all pray with me and also for me? 
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have just to come here and worship you in so many different forms, God. We just pray that today while I stand up here, it's not me standing up here, but it's, it's you speaking through me, God, that I don't get in the way of what you want to communicate to the hearts and lives of the people here and watching uh, through church at home, God. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in order to understand this psalm, we will get to it, I promise. In order to understand this psalm in its entirety, I really think we have to understand what the soul is because I believe there are a lot of misconceptions about the soul. Not because I'm calling out any of you guys here today, but because I myself have held misconceptions throughout my life. As a kid, this is what I thought the soul was. I thought the soul was a ghost-like creature that lived inside of me, that after I died, we'd either sink further to hell or go float up to heaven. And as he came out of the grave, would like wave goodbye to everyone that was at the funeral. That's just what I thought the soul was, okay? And then as I grew older... As I grew older, I started to adapt this other idea where there was this spiritual being inside of me that was also me, but it existed and it was, it was just kind of weird, almost like a Doctor Strange. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but where like the woman punches his soul out and then his soul is like floating and looking down at his physical body while his spiritual body is floating up here. Maybe some of you guys are like, what is happening right now? But all that to say is I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about the soul and I think it all stems from how we think of the soul in terms of lost and found. We tend to think of the soul as lost going to hell or found going to heaven so that once it's found through belief in Jesus, our soul is secure, healthy, ready, and waiting for heaven while our physical body goes on living and our spiritual soul waits in anticipation for heaven. I think that's what our misconception is because because while there is some truth to that and while our souls are secured through belief in Jesus, I don't think that we should think of our souls in terms of lost going to hell or found going to heaven. We should think of them based on condition, not destination. But too often we think of our souls through the lens of a destination of heaven or hell. But when we think of our souls in terms of of becoming rather than going, we start to care more deeply about our life here on earth, which drastically changes our viewpoint because we stop thinking about the fact that our soul is that thing that's headed there to our soul is becoming that. It changes from thinking, I need to accept Jesus so I don't go to hell, to I need to accept Jesus so I can become who he has created me to be. Helping us to see both the need and value in caring for our souls here on earth and that our soul is capable of feeling deep emotions through a connection Christ. Dallas Willard, a Christian genius and author, writes, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. In my sixth grade biology teacher's terms, the soul is the powerhouse of the cell, right? It's the powerhouse of the cell. It's not just something that lives on after we die, but it's the, in fact, the very most important thing about you right now. John Ortenberg writes and says, it is your very life. Our soul is not just some spiritual, ethereal entity that's living here and existing alongside our physical self, but it's the very thoughts that we think, the intentions that we have, and the actions that we take. Our soul is our entire being here on earth. And so as we read Psalm 2, and as we begin to read it, just understand that when he's talking about his soul, he's talking about the entirety of his self. So let's read the beginning part. Of Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Really quickly, let's pause here because verses 3 and 4 is going to set up the rest. Verses 3 and 4, he pairs this idea of despair with this idea of remembering the goodness of God and finding rest in that. And, And I just want to briefly touch on that because how often in our lives do we switch almost from verse to verse from being in complete despair and saying, God, where are you to, oh, God, I remember you are incredible. So often in our life, we have those emotions that switch back and forth between remembering the goodness of God and forgetting it. And he, he shows that beautifully here for us. But it's, I also want to pause here because that in this psalm that is all about spiritual despair, depression, and depravity, he starts off with a desire for God. He starts off with his desire for God. Look at these words that he uses, pants, longs, thirst. These aren't just words that come across of, yeah, I'm okay if I don't have God. I don't really need him. It's okay if I do or don't. These, these come across as I need God both spiritually and physically just as a deer would pant for water. And it's in this, it's in this thirsting for God that we come in an idea in the Christian faith that forms a dichotomy, which is basically just two points working together to form a bigger word. It's just a, it's just a big word. So anyways, it forms uh, this idea for the Christian faith. It's this idea of holy unrest while having complete satisfaction in this world. It forms this thought. What he is saying here is that when we place our hope in the living God, our worldly desires are completely satisfied, but our souls have an holy unrest for more of God, a holy unrest for more of God. Now, I know we've always heard that when we come to know Jesus, we find this complete rest and a peace that passes understanding. And I'm not saying that that's untrue. I'm just saying that this holy unrest is a thirsting for more of God. So if you're like me, when I came across this song, I started to think, how is this better? How is this holy unrest any better than the worldly dissatisfaction that I'm feeling right now? I really wanted to find rest in this world, and I thought that could be God. How is this any better? It's a great question to ask, and and I want to explain why this holy unrest is important for us as Christians and why it is better. Because everyone here, I think, wants rest. Raise your hand in the room if you want rest. Just raise your hand. Hopefully that's everyone. If not, I feel like it may be a lie. I don't know, but I'm not going to judge from here. So... Everyone potentially in the room and watching from church and home wants rest. Rest from, even it's just as basic of rest from throwing an infant up in the air who is telling you to throw him one more time. I was with my nephews this past week, and I don't know if my back, I'm 23, but man, my back was hurting after throwing those little 50 pound, they're not 50 pounds, but they feel like it in the air as many times as they want. Uh, and, or it's maybe rest from your work. Or maybe it's rest from narratives that are polarizing people against each other. Maybe it's rest from just a constant weight of a financial burden. Maybe it's rest from grief you feel from losing someone that you love. We all want rest from something uninterrupted, holy, peace-filled rest. And when we look to scripture, we find that God wants us to have rest too. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. Now, don't go and say, Nathan, you're a heretic. Jesus just said that we're going to have rest, and you just said that we're going to have this holy unrest. No, what Jesus here is saying is exactly what we've just discovered, which is that in everything in our life, all the burdens, all the heavy loads that we feel, we will find that complete rest only when we come to him, only when we take his yoke on us. But that doesn't say anything about the holy unrest. We go to him and find complete satisfaction, yes, in the things of this world, but we have this holy unrest of wanting more of him. It is holy because it's not based in a dissatisfaction that we haven't found what we're looking for. It's holy because we have found what we are looking for and we want more of it. You've tasted and seen that he is good. You are asking for more. And like he says, ask and you shall receive. He's not talking about power, money, or wealth. He's talking about himself, that if you ask for more of him, he will give you more of him. He is the one thing in this world and the next that never runs dry and always gives more to those who ask for it. That is the thirsting that the psalmist is talking about. No other thing of this world is gonna do that. Money is gonna lose its value the more we have. Sex will become meaningless the more you do it with other people. Success won't mean a thing when it's at the cost of relationships. People will always let us down. We're always going to go try it of our possessions. And no matter who is in charge, whether they are a Democrat, a Republican, or a communist, they're going to make the wrong decisions and let us down because we are imperfect. And because the things that God created for us in this world were never meant to completely satisfy us, but they were meant to point us to the one who satisfies all things. Can't you see how when we truly taste the goodness of God, that would create this thirsting, this desire for more of him, just like a deer would pant from a water as if its very life depended on it. Our souls long for rest and our souls find that rest completely in him. And our souls thirst for more of him, for more of his spirit, for more of Jesus. So how do we satisfy that holy unrest? How do we come to know him more? How do we do those things? And if we look to this next part of the psalm, Psalm 42, excuse me, Psalm 42, verse 5, we see that the psalmist asks a similar question that we are asking today, and he also answers it. Let's read Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here we see this psalmist saying that by placing our hope in God, by reminding and recognizing that God is our salvation and that he is very present and very near in our life today, that is how we satisfy our thirst for more of him, by placing our hope in him. That's it. Let's pray. No, I'm just joking. But sometimes we wish it was as easy as that. I'm sorry if I got anyone excited that we were already done. Uh, But sometimes we wish that it was as easy as that, that it was just one tweetable one-liner and we were good to go and we are out of here and we can go live our lives, right? Sometimes we just wish that it was like that. And sometimes it is as easy as that. Sometimes we are in a place, a season of life where somebody can speak a word. We can read a psalm and we can say, okay, God, I can go living the next couple of months with you. Like, I I feel good about this. Sometimes it is really hard. Sometimes it's really easy. It's just the seasons that we're in. But today I want to end with this question of how do we practically place our hope in him in a world that demands our attention? How do we practically place our hope in him even when sometimes we are in a place to even come to God? 
is that just too honest? I don't know. Sometimes maybe we're just so mad at God that we don't even want to go to him. Sometimes we're closing ourselves off of him. And so today we end with these two kind of questions, which is what do you do when you aren't in a healthy place to come to God? Not saying that you have to be perfect to come to God, but when you yourself are not ready to go to God, when you just don't even want to talk to him. And then two, how do you constantly, consistently, and practically place your hope in God? Both are answered in verse 5 of this psalm. Bracket that, by the way, star it, arrows, whatever you need to do to draw your attention to Psalm 42, verse 5. Because what this psalmist does here is something that we can do. It's a spiritual discipline in our life. I'm not saying this is like a five-step to get better and you're going to be good. But it's something that we can practice. Look at what he does. He asks a question and he makes a statement. Now this question, he's not talking to anybody else. He's not talking to God. What he's doing here is he's speaking to his soul. He's asking a question to his soul. He's getting in touch with his feelings, right? He's getting in touch with his feelings here. Now, in this room, I think that we have two different types of people. We have some people who bottle up their emotions and only think logically in every situation. This is not me. I'll describe who I am in just a minute. I have my flaws and imperfections. So these people, they, they, they bottle up all their emotions. They don't ever want to think about their emotions. They don't make emotionally driven uh, responses to situations. And there are pros and cons to that. Like they can think logically in a very emotionally driven situation. But then also when it comes to relationships, it's hard for them to empathize. It's hard for them to get in touch. It's hard for them just to even know what they're going through. And then we have people over here who are completely in touch with their emotions and know exactly what they're feeling all the time, but to the extent that they let their emotions speak to them so that if you're around them, they're like this roller coaster of a person. That's more me. You can ask my wife, Cassie. That is more me, unfortunately. And I'm working on it, of course. But this, what this psalmist does is he takes a little bit from both. He gets in touch with his feelings, but he stops before those emotions start speaking to him. He understands how his soul is feeling. He's understanding the deepest emotions that his soul is feeling so that he can speak confident biblical truth to his soul in the presence of the Holy Spirit and have the Spirit change him. It's not just some stoicism, Oprah whimpering up your soul, right? It's not like you can do anything. You're incredible. You're amazing. That's not what he's doing. He's speaking confidently to his soul in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit can change him. And look what he says. He says, first, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? That's him getting in touch with his feelings. And then this is him speaking to his soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. He reminds himself of the goodness of God. He speaks to his soul in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then powerfully and radically brings him to this place where he can then come back to God, remembering his goodness. To where we end with this question today, which is how do you constantly and practically put your hope in God, right? Because it's a a challenge for us sometimes to put our hope in God. It just seems like a Christian phrase that's said, and then people usually just leave you with that phrase and expect you to know exactly what to do. And I might do that today. No, I'm not gonna do that today. But I want us to talk about how we can practically put our hope in God. And I wanna illustrate it. So we have a plant here. I only need one of these plants, so I'm going to put this one down. We have a plant here, and we have some pots that this plant's going to go in. Now, if you're a gardener in the room, or hopefully if you're just anyone, you know that when you bring a plant home from the store, you need to plant it, right? Otherwise, it's just, I don't know why you bought a plant then if you didn't know that. Um, So when you bring a a, a plant home from the store, you have to plant it, right? And so you put it into a pot, and, and this pot that it's in 
will sustain it, will have the nutrients, the soil will have enough nutrients for it to grow, but eventually the roots are going to grow deeper than the pot has room for it to grow. Eventually, the soil is going to run out of nutrients. So as a gardener or someone in the room that knows something about plants potentially, we then take it out of the pot and we put it in a different pot, potentially a bigger pot. That pot then sustains the soil or sustains the plant. The, the soil provides nutrients. It has a little bit more room for the roots to grow. And then maybe, now bear with me, we're going to have to imagine that there are three pots up here. Can everyone do that? Just nod your head yes if we can imagine that there are three. Okay, thank you. So then we put it into a different pot. And this is going to keep happening until we change the soil that it's in, the depth that that pot has, until we bring out, oh yeah, the big old one. Now imagine that this is the ground. Once again, I'm challenging you guys to use your imagination. We have to pretend that this is the ground mainly because I cannot bring the ground inside of here. So we have to imagine this is the ground and we put this, no one can see that. That's our imaginary dirt. Well, I'm really testing your all's imagination today. Um, we, so we put this plant in the ground where there is fertile soil, there's depth for the roots to grow, and that plant that was created to grow into something can now have the space that it needs to grow into something. Now, this is not just any ordinary plant. Aha, you remember that there was another plant on the table. Excellent memory. So we have this one plant, but it's not just any ordinary plant. It's actually a companion plant. Now, if there are any real gardeners in the room, you will know, and I have to look to my notes because I am not a real gardener, that a companion plant helps each other grow and helps to use the space more efficiently and effectively. So this shorter plant would be a sun-sensitive plant that then a taller plant needs to be placed with so that it can provide shade for it when it needs it. And that shorter plant then provides some sort of protection or more nutrients in the soil. For example, plants like cabbage and dill, corns and beans, radishes and spinach, they all tend to be planted together because they help each other grow and they use the space more efficiently and effectively. Now, maybe you're thinking, Nathan, I thought you were supposed to be preaching, not giving us a lesson on gardening. And I was, but I got carried away with the radishes and dill thing, I understand. But hopefully you took notes of that, because that is some pretty delicious food. Anyways, those things help each other grow. And maybe you're already thinking, Nathan, I see exactly where you're going with this, and I'm very proud of you, because you probably do. And that is that this plant is you, your soul. It's beautiful. You have one. It's amazing. You have a soul, and it is this plant. Now, in our life, we tend to plant ourselves. We put our hope in things. We put our soul in things of this world. For instance, maybe we put it in things like people. We put our hope, we put our souls in people, and everything is wrapped up in our relationships, in our family members, in our spouses, in our boyfriends, in our girlfriends, in the friends even that we have, the really close friends. And one day when those family members, the spouse, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, those friends let you down, all of a sudden you realize that that thing cannot sustain you like it, you thought it could. Those people cannot fill every void in your life, even though you've been trying to make them fill that void. So in your life, what do you do? You, you replant your hope. You replant your, you replant your soul. And you put it maybe in possessions. Possessions, things of this world, whether that's just acquiring more things, acquiring more wealth, acquiring more power to the point of the fact that you just have so many things you don't know what to do with. But eventually, eventually those things are going to let you down. Eventually, you're just going to want something else. Eventually, you're just going to want one more thing. Eventually, you're going to say, I saw this on Facebook the other day. I'm not calling this person out. I'm laughing because I do this all the time, which was, if I can just have this one thing, I'll never ask for anything again. I have said that so many times. It's not. I would have a million dollars if the amount of times that I said that. But we think like that, and then we get it, and then we go to the next thing and say, if I just had that thing, I would never ask for anything else, completely forgetting that we just said the exact same thing about 10 seconds ago. 
So then maybe we take it out. Remember, we're imagining that there are three pots up here. Thank you for using your imagination. And we put it into this one. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's just putting it into the country. Maybe it's just putting it into a leader. Maybe it's putting it into good things like activism and, 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 and really wanting change and, and justice for people and all of those things. But once we realize that people are imperfect, leaders are imperfect, countries are even sometimes imperfect, then we realize that that thing cannot sustain us like we thought it could. And until we place this plant, our soul, into the fertile, infinite soil that is Christ, we will always find ourselves back in some sort of spiritual slump. And hear this today. Our potential to grow, our soul's potential to grow, is limited by the capacity of the pot our soul is in. Our potential to grow is limited by the capacity of the pot our soul is in is in. In our life, we have to be firmly planted in Christ. Our souls must be planted in the fertile, infinite soil that is Christ. But once again, if we plant our souls in Christ, but we do it alone, we hinder ourselves from seeing and reaching who God has created us fully to be. I'm not saying that Christ isn't enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Christ created you to have companion plants. Christ created you for community so that if you don't have companion plants that think differently, live differently than you, that can provide different things for you that you can't, that, that have different blind spots than you. We all have blind spots, right, in this world, things that we can't see, things that maybe we just don't know about that other people do know about and can shed insight and can help us grow. If we don't have companion plants to help us grow and to use this space, this Anderson community, this America that we are in more efficiently and effectively, then we're not truly becoming who God has created us to become because God has created you and I and our souls to be in community, in communion. Dallas Willard writes, you are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means that you were not made to be self-sufficient. God created you for community, both with him and his people. God created you for community so that your hope could be planted in him. And if it ever got misplaced, if your souls ever found themselves reaching into a different pot to plant themselves, you would have believers coming alongside you saying, whoa, 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 look what you're doing, look what you're doing. Come on, come back to Christ, come back to Christ. So how do we practically keep our hope placed in Christ? Well, the first thing is by having a relationship with Jesus. As we all know, a relationship is not just one thing where you just do it once and you're good to go for the rest of your life, right? It's not just one thing where you just have to work on it really hard one time and then you're good. No, a relationship means that you are constantly working to know more of that person. And unlike the people sitting next to you, unlike the people in your family, when you try to get to know more of them, eventually you might be able to find out every single thing about them. It's pretty hard to do and you have to be alive for a while, but eventually you might know every single thing about them. But unlike them, God will always have something that you can discover about him. Because God is not imperfect and God is not temporary like the things of this world. God is eternal and God is perfect. So that when you dig a hole in Christ and you plant yourself in him, weird illustration, Nathan, I know, I'm sorry. When you plant yourself in Christ, there will always be more ground for your roots to dig down into. There will always be more room for your soul to grow deeper in your knowing 
and loving of him. We do that through basic things that we learned potentially back in children's church. Or maybe if you're learning it for the first time, here they are. You do it by reading the Bible, by being a student of the word, by seeing the words that God wrote through his people for you and me today so that we would know more of him, learn more of him, be able to love more of him. We pray, that's talking and listening to God. We meditate, we sit in quiet moments just remembering and meditating on the goodness of God. We worship through different formats of just praising God for different things in our life. And finally, we place our hope consistently and practically in him by being in a community of people that think differently, that live differently, that don't all look the exact same than us so that we can grow into who Christ has created us to be. We were created for community. We were created to have companion plants. So maybe you're here today and you're joining us or you're joining us through church at home and you're sitting there wondering why you've been maybe feeling more depressed in this season, why you can't quite seem to get out of this slump. Maybe you feel like you really haven't heard from God lately. Maybe you feel like your community has been completely disbanded by a virus and you just don't know what to do. Whatever your feelings are today, I come back to our first question, which is how is your soul? I don't ask about your circumstances, not because they don't matter. They absolutely do. They matter to me. They matter to God. But because if we don't first assess the condition of your soul It won't matter what the circumstances of your life are. You will always find yourself back in a spiritual slump. There are people out there that have everything. A guy out there just signed a contract for $530 million or something. That's crazy. That's too much money. You don't know what you're going to do with that. Some of us think if I had that, I would definitely be happy. Maybe, okay, maybe we would be happier than maybe what we are now. But eventually that money is not going to satisfy you the way that Christ is going to satisfy you. That money, even 500, maybe like, you know, a normal person's salary and then the $500 million salary. I don't know. But eventually you're gonna find yourself back in a spiritual slump because if your souls are rooted in anything other than Christ, you are not given the space that you need to grow into who he has created you to be. So in the times that we are spiritually depressed, deprived, or in despair, do what the psalmist does here. Speak to your soul in the presence of the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to change you. Sometimes the God doesn't wait for you to allow him, right? We all know that. But we have an opportunity here today to assess what we're going through, assess the emotions that we're feeling, assess where your soul is today and speak Biblical, confident truth to it in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And most importantly, doing it with other believers. Having people in your life that you know and trust to speak those same things into your life in the presence of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad of a person you think you are, no matter how good of a person you think you are, no matter where you stand on anything that is happening today, you have a soul. It matters to me. It matters to a lot of people in this room and it matters infinitely more to God. And so I ask this question for everyone, believers and non-believers in the room. 
How is your soul? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for the fact that you provide for us a way to come to you through your son, Jesus Christ, God. We thank you that you provide a way for us to know you. You provide a way for us to come and plant ourselves firmly in you today, God. And so now today, confidently through the Holy Spirit, God, through, through your son, Jesus, I pray for every single person in this room every single person joining us through church at home, every single just person that is experiencing something uh, of the effects of what is happening these past four or five months, God, that you will provide a peace that passes all understanding, that you will satisfy all their worldly desires through their belief in you, God. But God, I also pray that we, we really grasp this holy unrest. God, we really understand that this means that we have a thirsting for more of you and that you can satisfy that thirsting and give us more thirsting by us just reaching deeper to know you and love you more, God. So I pray for the people here. I pray for myself, God. I pray for all of us that we will just come to know you more, that we will consistently and constantly place our hope in you in a world that demands so much of us and our attention, God. So I thank you. I love you that you are here, a very near and present help in times of trouble, God. And that you are working powerfully in every single person in this room. I pray for us to really evaluate our souls today. And throughout moments of despair or depression or even moments of joy and and happiness, God, that we will just assess the condition of our soul so that we can grow closer to you and love you more, God. We love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.